0: California is a global leader in in tomato production, just like we are in dairy production. Over the last 10 years, we've lost about a million acres of open ground to uh, permanent crops. Uh, And, you know, dairy and tomatoes, we make a wonderful combination on pizza. Maybe we can uh, continue that, uh, maybe continuing that it to the farm level. Uh, Makes a lot of sense, especially if we have some mutual uh, customers that are coming out to see where their cheese or, a sauce comes from, they can uh, do one-stop shopping for both products.
1: Tristo, and I'm the Community Field Representative at Western United Dairies. Today we have on Giovanni Cavalletto from The Morning Star to speak on why tomatoes could be good for your dairy. So let's go ahead and get into that.
2: Are you tired of hearing that the main way to save water is fallowing? Are you tired of seeing articles about how alfalfa and corn waste water? At Common Good Water, we combine the best-in-class subsurface drip system and precision crop management services, including pest control. Our verification program qualifies for public funding, and we want to help you continue farming in California. Contact your groundwater sustainability agency and ask how you can work with Common Good Water. Visit commongoodwater.com. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, Pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your pg e account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. folks hope you had a great week it's been a pretty volatile several weeks in our dairy markets Um, we did see a little bit of upward movement particularly in the class four space thankfully finally this week we saw buyers come in and bid up non-fat dry milk we gained about nine and a quarter cents back up to 124.50 and butter up a little over 10 cents back to 237.50 so that's helped out the class four complex um, futures over in the uh, second quarter gained, um, thankfully, after again a rough couple of weeks. Um, class three space was mixed. Uh, barrels were able to bounce a little bit higher up to 163. That's up seven and three quarters a cent. But we did lose 10 cents on blocks down to 186.50. So generally, class three futures have been lower over the course of the last few weeks. We did get a a read from USDA on the number of dairy heifers expected to calve. They dropped their estimate down to 2.8 million head for 2023. That's down about 2% versus last year and the lowest level since 2004. So we have seen some gains in milk production here in the U.S. over the last couple of months. uh, But hopefully this lower heifer number will mean it'll be a little bit harder to hit uh, material advances year over year in output. Um, We have been watching Europe's production. Numbers there have generally been moving higher, particularly out of Europe, uh, um, sorry, out of Germany. And recall when you think about Europe, um, it's a lot larger than we remember. Europe's milk production is about 1.6 times that of the U.S., and it's about seven times that of New Zealand alone. So small gains there do add up, and we have seen that pressure come in the markets um, with them being fairly competitive in the export market, particularly cheese and nonfat dry milk. Uh, we did get a dairy products report today and all production ended on a pretty strong note with cheese output up 2% year over year, butter up 4% and powder growing about 5%. Next week is relatively slow uh, on reports except for a global dairy trade on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that to see if there's any um, reemergence in buying patterns from China. They have been a little active on the last couple of auctions, but it would, see, it would be great to see them come back with a little bit stronger appetite. Hope you have a great week. Please reach out if you have any questions.
1: Hi, Giovanni. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. So let's go ahead and start with how long you've been in the tomato industry and uh, what your position is at Morningstar.
0: Yeah, so I've, uh, my name's Giovanni Cavalletto. Uh, this is my third season. We're starting out the third season uh, in the processing tomato business here with the Morningstar Packing Company. Um, I work with the agricultural supply chain. So uh, that has, we, we've got a number of different business units We have a nursery called California Master Plant, which grows the transplants. We have a transplanting and harvesting service uh, called CalSun Grower Services. And we have a uh, grower relations department, which uh, Rigoberto Guzman, uh, who's here with us today, works in. And then we have a Morningstar trucking to haul the tomatoes from the field. So I I kind of work with all of that although uh, for the last um, since I since I got started a uh, majority of my attention has been specifically focused on the grower relations aspect and trying to recruit more Central Valley farmers to to grow tomatoes.
1: Got it. So why do you think it's a good idea to grow tomatoes where producers grow corn, alfalfa, and such?
0: The way we're approaching it is looking at uh, looking at it from an economical model. So I know traditionally the dairy model has been for a uh, a dairyman to grow their own feed, whether it be corn or alfalfa or you know, other types of, of silage. Um, mm-hmm. but we're so we're looking at it from from an economic standpoint, so it, within California agriculture, there's a constant uh, intensification, right? So one of my colleagues used to source tomatoes in Orange County and Ventura County uh, thirty years ago. Well, there hasn't there hasn't been a processing tomato grown. There's not not really very much farming left in Orange County, and there hasn't been a processing gro- tomato grown in Ventura County for. Thirty years. I I grew up in the Napomo Santa Maria area. Santa Maria used to have a number of dairies and and sugar beets, and there has haven't been any sugar beets dug. Or uh, I think the last dairy in Santa Barbara uh, County closed down about twenty years ago. So there's there's always a, a natural intensification. So this is kind of looking at a uh, a market stable a product like processing tomatoes versus a market volatile product, which, you know, alfalfa or corn silage or wheat silage can be, and looking to see if a grower can make more money for the bottom line at the dairy by growing a cash crop like tomatoes and then uh, outsourcing some of their other feed needs that, that, uh, that they'd be able to get.
1: Uh, so in California, water is a pretty big topic. Uh, can you speak on how efficient tomatoes are with water usage?
0: Yes, uh, tomatoes use about two point four acre feet per year. That's another that's another subject where we're talking to to farmers, especially in those that are most severely impacted by uh, some of the sigma requirements that have been maybe uh, water rich in the past, and now they're coming. Um, under a little bit more of a microscope, that in addition to thinking about return per acre, uh, look at look at the farm returns also in return per acre foot. So in other words, if you've got um, you've got an allocation that's less than a hundred percent, that would force you to fallow some of your ground in a water-intensive crop. Um, would it be better to find a crop that uses less water, such as tomatoes, and still farm all of your ground um, and and do some of those calculations?
1: Uh, what irrigation systems are needed to grow tomatoes?
0: So, w- tomatoes have uh, evolved over the last 15 years uh, from furrow irrigated to mm-hmm. almost exclusively uh, subsurface drip irrigated. So. For a grower to do that, you have to install the drip tape, and you also have to. One would have to install a filtration system. A lot of the growers will already have a filtration system, especially if they're somewhat diversified uh, already. And then there are some synergies, you know, that we can that we can have with dairies going going onto ground that has been. Um, farmed with lagoon water for you know years and years a lot of times the tomatoes will really uh, jump out of the ground after that and then as a if a grower grows tomatoes in rotation um, Mm. the drip tape that they install for the tomatoes will then later have benefits when they rotate out of tomatoes back to a, a traditional crop such as corn because the the water savings and mm-hmm. the uh, yield increases from having the subsurface uh, drip irrigation will extend to those other crops as well.
1: What is the growing season of
0: tomatoes? So generally we're dropping seed right now in the nursery as we speak. So we're, we're sowing from kind of New Year's all of January, all of February into March. Then we start transplanting right around the first of March, do all of March, all of April, and most of May. And then, uh, we start harvesting from starting right after the 4th of July, um, all of July, all of August and through September, sometimes, uh, Filling into the month of October. So basically, what we need, like I said earlier, um, we have the we have the nursery, so we can help uh, supply the transplants. We have the transplanting and the harvesting company, so we can do that. We need the farmer to supply the 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 ground, the water, and you know, taking care of the crop, irrigation, uh, pest control, fertilization for around. 120 days between transplanting and harvesting. Uh,
1: so how does growing tomatoes benefit producers and farmers in the area?
0: I think by uh, adding a, so the two things that we talked about earlier, looking at it from an economic model and uh, Rigo has reached out to a, a number of um, nutritionists that uh, work with dairies in the central Valley and asked them to consider, okay, if you were to, if a grower were to replace part of the uh, acreage that they currently use to grow feed for growing tomatoes, what would the impact be of that replacement on milk production, the cost of substitute feed or purchasing feed versus growing feed, the um, the effect on milk production, and then looking at the uh, economic impact of growing the cash crop like tomatoes based on state averages and yields. And those uh, nutritionists, we work with uh, three of them, they've come up with models and then what uh, that make it look like it could be attractive um, for the bottom line of the dairy to to uh, consider this. And so what we would do is share those economic models developed by those three nutritionists with the farmer Ask them, hey, don't take their word for it. Share this with your trusted uh, family nutritionist. See if, it, see if uh, the numbers appear reasonable to them. And then from there, go ahead and take the next steps on learning about the equipment, knowledge, materials, um, capital needs, labor needs that uh, would be necessary for farming tomatoes.
1: So then is there anything else you'd like to leave the producers with before we wrap up the podcast?
0: Um, I think that the most important thing would be, you know, to reach out to one of our uh, field representatives, uh, Rigoberto Guzman and myself. We have the um, nutrition models that the nutritionists have uh, worked out. We'd be happy to uh, share those. We also have some, uh, some models or sample budgets on what it would cost take to uh, farm tomatoes, and you know, kind of use those as a starting point to um, to explore what the what the benefits might be. We're we're also working on a uh, putting together kind of a tomato farming one hundred and one brochure that would that would take the grower step by step. This is the these are the property, the land requirements, as far as uh, soil. These are the water requirements, as far as uh, volume and qu- quality. These are some of the, these are the land prep requirements and the equipment that would be needed for that. We also have a number of um, farmers up and down the valley that, you know, that might be interested in in uh, helping a neighbor uh, with such a project.
1: Awesome. And then we can also uh, put your guys' contact information in the show notes as well.
0: That would be great. That would be fantastic. We're very appreciative.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, I think it's important to remember that um, California is a global leader in, in tomato production, just like we are in dairy production. Over the last 10 years, we've lost about a million acres of open ground to uh, permanent crops, Uh, And, you know, dairy and tomatoes, we make a wonderful combination on pizza. Maybe we can uh, continue that, uh, maybe continuing that extended to the farm level uh, makes a lot of sense, especially if we have some mutual uh, customers that are coming out to see where their cheese or uh, sauce comes from. They can uh, do one-stop shopping for both products.
1: (laughs) Definitely. All righty. Well, thank you. You have a good day.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at Bennett-Environmental.com.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Seen and Heard. If you would like to get notified when an episode comes out, you can subscribe to the channel and we hope you have a great week. Thank you to the Western United Dairies generous business sponsors. The Morning Star Company, Holt of California, Farm Credit Alliance, PG&E, Arata, Swingle, Van Egmond and Goodwin Law Offices, Yosemite Farm Credit, F&R Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, California Dairy Magazine, Bennett Environmental, and Common Good Water. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our guests, Please note that the opinions expressed in the Seen and Heard podcast may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors or our sponsors. If you would like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at